Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the podcast where history gets real. gets real. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I am back. I apologize for my long delay. I hope you don't hold it against me, you know? Sometimes you just, we just kind of go through some things. We need to take a mental break for some stuff, and that's essentially what happened to me. Shortly after I made my last episode, I started a new job, so I was focusing on that, you know, trying to get adjusted to everything, because it was my first time being back to work in a while. And my son had just started daycare, so that was an adjustment period. And, you know, mentally, it just bogged me down. And, you know, then I, the, more time, the more time that had passed from my last episode, I started losing my self-confidence. Like, do I really want to keep doing this? Am I really knowledgeable enough to continue doing a history-related podcast? And I was listening to other history podcasts, and it's like, man, these, these people are just so knowledgeable. They know so many things. So then I'm sitting there doing my research and I'm trying to, you know, provide enough intel and details for every podcast. And it just got so overwhelming that I just stopped. I just, I just mentally blocked it off. And then I tried, you know, adjusting to making an Instagram related account where I could do episode updates and, you know, this day in history stuff and random history things. And then I realized that I just do not care about Instagram anymore. So I just said, fuck it, and deleted my Instagram account. I just I, I just wasn't having fun with it. It wasn't as fulfilling and entertaining as I thought it was. And it just became more of a burden than, you know, than it was fun. And obviously, you know, with Instagram accounts, it's kind of hard to grow your followers and stuff like that. So that just didn't really help the whole self-confidence aspect of it. So, I am back now. I took my time. I got refocused. My mental health is a lot better now because I took it upon myself to get help to help with my self-confidence and my anxiety. 
I downloaded the app BetterHelp. And I got matched up with a doctor who I talked to, and she helps me, you know, try and recenter my thoughts and help me with my confidence and, you know, more centering myself on what is within my control and not overburdening myself with things that are not in my control. And it's really helped. So I encourage people to take a step back from things that are not necessarily fulfilling you in your life and just try and get yourself re-centered and if you come back to it great if you don't hey maybe you just weren't in it as much as you thought you were so i i encourage everyone to take the time to focus on their mental health because it is really really necessary for every aspect of your life if, you, if you're not mentally you know stimulated or mentally re-energized for anything like that a lot of stuff is going to fall to the wayside. So please, I implore you, do do what you got to do to take care of your mental health. Don't just put it off on the side. With that being said, I have come to the conclusion that I may not be the most knowledgeable. I may not be the best source of history-related content, but I enjoy delivering history-related content. And I feel like I present a unique aspect of it because, as I said in my first episode, you know, I'm not going to sit here and bore you with dates. I'm not going to act like I know everything. I don't. It is very hard to try and learn everything from history because there's so many things, so much information, and a lot of it kind of contradicts itself. You know, there are so many different avenues and so many different sources to go through. You just can't learn everything in history. You just kind of got to focus on what you want to present. And what I want to present is kind of like an abridged version of a history class. Make it enjoyable. Make it entertaining. I don't want to bore you. That's the last thing I want to do because we've all experienced boring history teachers. So I just want to make it fun. And if you don't think it's knowledgeable, then go find another history podcast that, you know, provides more information. But hey. To each their own. You know, there, there are plenty of history podcasts out there. I'm just trying to do my own thing. So, there it is. Today, I want to talk about the Mongols. Because the Mongols are awesome. Now, when I was in school, more often than not, the Mongols were kind of presented as these horse-riding savages. All they did was raid, pillage, plunder, rape, and just destroy everything that came within their path. Now, don't get me wrong. They did raid, pillage, and plunder, but it wasn't just because they could. They did to protect what they were trying to build. And the person in particular that I'm going to talk about is Genghis Khan. I'm sure you have all heard of Genghis Khan. This man was incredible. He was smart when it came to military tactics. He was a genius when it came to infrastructure and taxation reforms, and he literally took these nomadic people living in yurts in the middle of the Gobi Desert, and he turned them into a very profitable and tolerant civilization. Now, obviously, he did this by raiding, pillaging, and attacking people, 
but most of the time that was his last resort. He really tried to be diplomatic in some aspects. There was one group of people in particular that he did not try diplomacy, where he woke up one morning and chose violence, and violence is what they got. So before I get into that, let's kind of start with where he came from. So north of China is Mongolia. Genghis Khan, before he was Genghis Khan, his name was Timojin. He was born to a rather small tribal leader. So there were multiple different tribes throughout all of Mongolia. Timojin was the son of a tribal leader. His dad wasn't exactly very popular, but he was very smart, well-respected within his group. And he started to become a little too powerful, a little too controversial. He was really trying to bring all of these nomadic tribes together. He had a lot of loose and broken alliances throughout Mongolia with different tribes. And Timojin was really learning from his dad. He was learning the inner workings of politics. So when he became a teenager, his father said, okay, you're going to stay here with your mother, your brothers, and your new wife. I'm going to go off and try and, you know, secure these alliances with people because we're growing a little too weak. We need to secure some alliances. So his father left met with a group of tribal leaders, and he was murdered. There's no conclusive evidence whether he was, like, outright murdered, poisoned, wh whatever the case may be. So word got back to Timojin that his father was murdered, and he was devastated, obviously. Once word was back that his dad was dead, a lot of his tribe left. Because they're like, no, we are weak without him, we can't do this, we need to go and try and join another tribe so that we don't die and Timojin took that personally so he was like you know what fuck all y'all here's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna start gathering as many people as I can and we're going to fuck up these other tribes and you're either gonna join us or you're gonna die so for 20 years of his life 20 years of his life was spent bringing all of these Mongolian tribes together and obviously it was not some it was not a small task whatsoever but he succeeded whether it be killing them or them realizing this is not a man to be trifled with because he was not he was a very pragmatic man and so they realize these tribal leaders realize that this kid holds a grudge for what we did so let's try and get on his good side because he has no qualms about killing people his best friend as a child actually tried putting him in his place and he straight out killed his best friend i mean it wasn't even just like a best friend it was his blood brother he straight out just just killed him because he was like trying to put him in his place and just like no you can't be doing this you can't be going out you know messing with all these people so he said okay fuck you killed him so obviously these people realize this is not some kid anymore you know this this is a this is a man on a mission and his mission was to create a unified Mongolia. Once he had finally unified Mongolia, he set his sights on the Jin Empire of China. Now, ancient China wasn't exactly unified like you would imagine. So there were separate kingdoms throughout all of China. Most of southern China was the Song Dynasty. 
the north was the Jin Dynasty, and then up in the northwest, you kind of had a uh, smaller kingdom. So he set his focus on the Jin Dynasty. And part of this was, you know, because there had just been bitter rivalries between Mongolia and the northern kingdoms of China. There had just been, like, a lot of back and forth, back and forth. So Genghis Khan decided enough is enough. We need to put these people in their place. They need to either join us or die. And then we can secure a nice little trade route with the southern Chinese empires. And that's what he did. He amassed around 65,000 people to join his army. And before we get into the actual thing, Mongolians were practically born on horseback. Just think of the Dothraki from Game of Thrones, okay? The, their horse was an extension of their body. They were born in the saddle, basically. A, a Mongolian without a horse is like a, I don't know, an English knight without its armor, basically. Horse meant everything to a Mongolian soldier. So if you couldn't ride a horse, you were practically useless. And they knew the whole inner workings of horseback riding. I mean, they were proficient archers. They were proficient spearmen. They were a serious force to be reckoned with on horseback. So, I mean, when you... When, when I mentioned that he had an army of 65,000 people, three-quarters of it was horseback. I mean, that, that is a scary idea. Just just remember Season 7 of Game of Thrones when Jaime Lannister and Bronn are with that little convoy of Lannister soldiers and they have all that gold and uh, wheat that they took from the Reach. All of a sudden they stop and they listen and they just hear all of those hooves and the, the yipping and the hollering and they just look over on the horizon and they see that horde of Delthraki riding towards them. That's exactly what the Mongolians were like. They were a terrifying people. So when Genghis Khan amassed this army and started marching towards the Jin dynasty, they were shitting their pants. They were like, no, we cannot meet them in the open field. We need to fall back to our capital and we need to try and hold down. We, 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 we cannot fight them in open field. So Genghis Khan took this army. He was very, very good about managing the separation of his army. I mean, he separated his army into three separate armies to, once, once they got to the city, right, he separated them into three armies to start laying waste to the outer regions of this kingdom. So that it cut off their food supply line, it cut off their reinforcements, it cut off their water. I mean, it was like a total siege. And it wasn't necessarily that they were, you know, all they could do was just that. No, Genghis Khan had a lot of knowledge when it came to siege weapons. I mean, he had Chinese engineers within his military that helped him with building siege weapons. So it wasn't like they would just sit there and, you know, shoot arrows and throw spears at the walls. No, they had legit catapults and ballistae and towers to breach walls so after he splits his army into three people his main force with him stayed at the walls and they were just you know pelting them with catapults and stuff like that you know just terrorizing the people within the city well the yellow river near this city started to flood so 
there was there was this huge influx in water near them so they said crap they could easily escape through this river if we don't do something about it so what they did is they built a dike that channeled the flow of water towards their walls which at the time i mean this this was like the the 1200s when this was around so it wasn't exactly like they had you know great metal walls or great stone walls no a lot of it was dirt and especially um you know on the water side they had uh it was like compact dirt so they rerouted the water with a dike and it was just hitting this this dirt wall and it ended up crashing down and unfortunately it didn't really succeed that well because it ended up uh not only wiping out the city's suburbs at inside the wall where the water went in but it also kind of affected the mongol camp so they abandoned this side and they're like okay as long as you know we keep one army back here along this river then we can make sure that they don't escape so they were laying siege to the city managed to stop them the dude the leader in charge of the city was like suing for peace constantly he's like please 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 leave us alone we don't want to fight you anymore and he's just like <laughs> well i don't know what to tell you man you're gonna have to provide me a really really sweet sounding deal for me to stop attacking you so he's like okay i'll pay you gold i'll pay you silver silk i'll give you fresh horses we'll continue to pay you tribute and you can have one of my daughters and so Genghis Khan's like, all right, that sounds like a uh, that sounds like a fair deal. We can do that. So he accepted the deal of surrender, and as soon as he accepted it, the leader packed up, moved to the next city. He was just like, oh fuck this, I'm out of here. Abandoned the city, left, went to another one. Genghis took offense to this. He was like, that's not a part of our deal. Our deal didn't say anything about you moving. It just said you would give me this stuff. So he brought his army back. He was marching towards the city to lay waste to it again. But then word came back to him that a northern uh, nomadic tribe of people within the forest of Mongolia, in northern Mongolia, was leading a rebellion. So he went back to Mongolia, quashed the rebellion. While this rebellion was going on, one of his generals, Subadai, was fighting an army of these rebels, right? They're fighting, they're fighting. On a hill near the battle, this Persian Shah, Sultan, whatever you want to call him, his name was Shah Muhammad. He was on like a completely different campaign, and he came across these two armies fighting. And he was like, oh, this is interesting. So after Subadai and the Mongolians thwarted the rebels, this... Shah Muhammad attacked Subadai and his army. And, I mean, <laughs> the funny thing about Mongols is they could literally turn from fighting one army and fight another army, and it, like, wouldn't even phase them whatsoever. And it didn't. So Shah Muhammad and his army, and then Subadai's, you know, tired army that had just fought another battle, started fighting each other. And it was so evenly matched that both parties kind of, you know, went back to their respective camps and just stopped. You know, they were like, okay, let's call it a day. We'll meet back tomorrow. Well, day broke the next day. Shah Muhammad looked up. All of the Mongols were gone. They just packed up, went back to Mongolia. So Subadai went and told Genghis, hey, we just fought these dudes. 
they came from like far west we don't even know where they came from we didn't recognize them and these dudes just attacked us so we came back here to tell you so Genghis was like okay that's fine he uh sent some envoys and a trade caravan to uh the furthest or the nearest city to him that belonged to this Shah Muhammad sent this trade caravan and it was it was a it was a Muslim country right so Genghis Khan amassed this caravan of Muslim traders you know thought hey if they see their own people maybe they won't attack us or anything like that and his idea was to try and broker peace he was like hey here's my traders you know this is what we have to offer I would love to set up a trade between our two great nations us mongolians are you know the uh, new rising empire we're the rising sun i've heard of the Khorezian empire i've heard of the persian empire you guys are like the the sun setting in the west and we are the sun rising in the east you know our two empires we could really make something special together if we work together there must have been some kind of uh mistranslation or something because shah muhammad took so much offense to that he was like are you saying that my empire is on the decline and yours is on the rise is that what you're saying so he had the governor of that city that the caravan went to slaughter the entire caravan and take everything that they had one trader managed to escape went back to genghis khan told him what happened genghis was fucking pissed he was like okay I understand why they attacked, but we are going to try this again. I mean, because obviously he didn't want to get into another open battle. I mean, they were still kind of fighting the jinn. They had just quashed a rebellion. The last thing he wanted to do was start another open war in a land that he was not familiar with, with an army and an adversary that he was not familiar with. So he sent more envoys. He sent a group of his uh, royal guard to... The governor of that city again that belonged to shah muhammad sent them and he said hey there must have been some kind of misunderstanding i'm not trying to fight i'm not trying to insult i don't want to do any of that i am literally just trying to broker a peace so that we can set up a trade agreement between us we have portions of the old silk road within our empire and we have a lot to provide and i think you have a lot to provide for us so come on let's 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 do this let's get with the trading let's get with the 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 friendliness the governor singed the beards of two of genghis khan's royal guard killed the rest and told those two go back to your master and do not come back so these two guys show back up at genghis khan their beards are singed they tell him what happened and genghis says okay fuck this we're killing them and this wasn't just you know a conquering killing them this was we are going to lay waste to this motherfucker because not only did he attack me without cause he killed my trade caravan and he disrespected my royal guard and all i was trying to do was broker peace so genghis was pissed he amassed his army again marched a thousand miles west a thousand miles he marched them west they came to the city shah muhammad said fuck 
I have made a mistake. The Mongols laid waste to the city. Nobody survived. For two weeks, after they broke down the gate and the walls, for two weeks, they plundered the city. Plundered it. Nobody survived. And then, to make matters worse, after they had done their done their thing, a great fire broke out within the city. So, I mean, like, the city was just, just done. And the Shah managed to escape to another one of his cities. So, the Mongols chased him. They chased him throughout the entire eastern portion of the per the old Persian Empire. So, I mean, I'm talking like Uzbekistan, um, Kyrgyzstan, northern Russia, or uh, western Russia. They chased him all around. And his son, his son too, was also, you know, present, and they were trying to find him too. So, I mean, these two dudes are literally just running for their lives across their empire while their cities are just being burned and their people are being killed. And the thing with – now, while I do say that they were, you know, killing with impunity, Mongols respected strength. So it wasn't like they would just go through and wipe out the entire army and then go and kill the citizens. No, because you can't have a thriving empire on corpses. And Genghis knew that. So the only way to build their empire is to bring people into the fold. So when they meet, come across a soldier within a battle or like a, like a general or anything like that who displays great military tactics, great military strength, and they're very resolved... Most of the time, the Mongols would spare them and their soldiers and be like, hey, you should join us. You should go uh, make camp back in Mongolia. Join us and, you know, you can live. And, I mean, who's, who's going who's gonna to refuse? Especially if these, these people's leader and his son are leaving you high and dry in front of this Mongol horde. So it's like, okay, yeah, sure, we'll join your empire. And Genghis was very tolerant. The Mongols are very tolerant. They allowed... Muslim traders, Christian traders, Buddhist traders, uh, Taoist traders, they, they allowed anyone and everyone into the Mongolian Empire. You can't have an empire without people, and you can't provide your people with goods unless you allow certain traders. So they were not selective. Plus, Genghis had an idea in his head that he should be familiar and on good terms with all faiths, because he didn't know which faith was true. He didn't know if it was the sky god in which the Mongols believed in. He didn't know if it was Jesus, Allah, what the great Buddha. He didn't know. So he wanted to be on good terms with all religions in case one of their afterlifes was, in fact, the afterlife. So the Mongolians were very tolerant when it came to other religions. So obviously, when they come, come across these uh, people in the Eastern Persian Empire who you know, want to join their empire. It's just like, okay, yeah, sure. We'll join you. No problem. Just please don't kill us. So eight years he spent in the, on the Khoresnian campaign, which took place in Eastern empire, Shah Muhammad, all of that. Eight years he was away. There were no uprisings. There were no rebellions. Nobody challenged for Genghis's throne. Everyone respected Genghis's rule. And they knew what he was about. They knew that he was disrespected, and all of Mongolia was disrespected by Shah Muhammad. So they were like, okay, he'll be back. No worries. And he was. After he laid waste to all of the... I shouldn't say all. Most of the cities within, within the 
within Shah Muhammad's empire, he went back to Mongolia, and he left his son and general, uh, his son Ogadai, and his general um, Subate to chase Shah Muhammad and finally bring him to justice. And they did. They chased him into the land of the Rus, which is modern-day Russia, and they got on good, uh, Shah Muhammad and his son got on good terms with the Rus. They amassed an army to fight uh, Ogadai and Subade's army, which was around 3,000, 5,000, give or take, wiped out the entire Rus army. Genghis left his son and his general behind. Their army, just theirs, of 3,000 to 5,000 men. And for three years, these two guys chased Shah Muhammad and his son across their empire and into Rus and only lost maybe 2,000 men. Three years. The Mongolians were experts when it came to living off the land. I mean, as long as they could find grass for their horses to graze in, they were set. So for three years, they were just following this dude around while he was running and hiding, and nobody wanted him because they knew what was behind him. They said, we don't want you in our city. We don't want to fuck with the Mongols, so you can just buzz off. So he managed to finally get the Rus to help him, and the Rus paid the consequences. <laughs> it's kind of funny. So after uh, Ogadai and Subadei managed to kill Shah Muhammad, they went back to Mongolia. At this point, Genghis Khan was in his 60s or so, and he decided that they needed to turn their attention back to China. It's always about China for the Mongols. So he said, we need to go back and finish what we started now that we've quashed the re these rebellions and got rid of that fucker that attacked us. So they amassed another army, went back to China, and before they were about to attack, uh, Genghis and a couple of his men decided to go out on an early morning hunt. He was riding, and his horse got spooked and threw him off, and I don't know what exactly happened, but he suffered some kind of internal injuries, and the next day he was suffering from a fever, and he was on his deathbed. Shitty way to go for such an incredible guy. You know, I mean, you're fighting countless battles, quashing several rebellions, and traveling thousands of miles with an army, and the thing that gets you is your horse bucking you off because it got scared. So on his deathbed, they convened a meeting of the elders and his sons and generals of who was going to be his successor. Now, his eldest son died in a battle on the Khoresnian campaign. So it left his second son, third son, fourth son, and then he included his oldest son's um, son in the talks. And he named his third son Ogadai as his successor. This kind of upset his two older sons because Ogadai, you know, obviously was younger, but Genghis's thought process was he was the more balanced out of the three of them. While he may have been a heavy drinker, he was of sound military mind. He knew when to attack and how to attack, and he knew when not to attack. And he was 
collected, much like Genghis was. His two eldest sons, one of them was too cautious, one of them was too aggressive. So, Ogadai, clear successor for him. Genghis, Khan, Genghis Khan's last words to his sons and generals was, Life is short. I may not have been able to conquer the world, but you can. And that was like their motto. That was like their 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 slogan, their their inner peace way of thinking once he finally passed. There's no we have no idea where Genghis Khan was buried. Um there's speculations that he was buried near the battlefield in China. There's speculations that there is a burial mound in Mongolia because there is a um, closed off area of spiritual essence within Mongolia. So it's believed that he may have been put there. He may have been buried on the highest mountain in Mongolia. There, there's just there's just no telling. We have no idea. But they didn't mark it because they didn't want anyone to disturb his his place. So what what's what's believed that this, this isn't confirmed or anything. But what is believed is that. The men who buried Genghis Khan were assassinated, and then the assassins of the guys who buried him were assassinated. That way, no one lived to tell where Genghis Khan was buried, and it was just, and he's just lost in time. So we have no idea. <clears throat> so come time, so after he passed away, they abandoned the uh, China campaign, went back to Mongolia. And Ogadai was a little nervous about being named the Great Khan. Um, he knew that his brothers were a little upset because he was younger and they didn't think him think of him as experienced enough. And the elders were saying, you were chosen by your father. We have to honor your father's words. I mean, he has made us what we are today. If your father says that you are his successor, then we need to believe it as so. We cannot deny that. He was still on the fence about it. He was still really nervous. He's like, oh, I don't know if I'm fit for this. I don't I don't know if I can do this. So his two older brothers and the generals picked him up by the arms and the legs and forcibly put him on the throne. I mean, that, that commands a lot of respect. I mean, his brothers, while they may have been upset, they respected their father's wishes. So they followed him no matter what. And he was a very, very good, successful ruler. I mean, no one's going to top Genghis Khan, let alone his his son. But Ogadai was not some chump, you know. He, he, he wasn't just someone to fill the gap. He was a very well-respected commander of the armies. And he was very tact, tactful when it came to certain things. One of his reforms when he was named emperor was anyone who had been committed of a crime before my time as Great Khan... Your, your slate is clean now. But if you commit another crime, you die. So, I'm giving you a second chance, basically. And once again, he allowed all the traders from the different regions of the world and different religions come into Mongolia and trade in their business. Um, he relieved these... He allowed them to build their temples, their mosques, their synagogues, whatever, what, what name you. He allowed them to build their places of worship within the Mongolian Empire. He exempted them from taxes... And um, basically, it was kind of like a uh, like a household tax, like you pay for the number of people people within your house or whatever. So he was he was 
what he managed the Mongol Empire very well. I mean, this is an empire that spanned thousands of miles. It was massive from the Pacific coast into like Uzbekistan. I mean, it, it was it was a massive area. And he actually went even further than that. So he took his father's dying words to heart. I lived a life is short. I was not able to conquer the world, but you can. So he went down to China, finished what his father had started, brought the northern Chinese kingdoms to heal. They started paying him tribute. He aligned himself with the Song Dynasty of the South. They were, you know, trading back and forth. They were paying him tribute so that they didn't, so that the Mongols wouldn't come down south and fuck them up like they did the north. After he finished the Chinese campaigns, he turned his eyes west. He said, basically, I want to know what's beyond the Persian Empire. And he did. They went up to Russia. They fucked up some people up in Russia. They went into modern-day Baghdad. They fucked up some people in Baghdad. They even went to Poland and Hungary, and they fucked up people in Hungary and Poland. And this was devastating to the Eastern European monarchies and kingdoms. I mean, they amassed... So they, they amassed an army of a lot of crusade... of, like, crusader military men, a lot of crusade knights... They amassed an army of around 100,000 people. And Ogadai had an army of maybe 75, 80,000 people. But they were so good. So one of the basic military tactics of the Mongolians was a hit and retreat, hit and retreat. They would, they would run up to the army, they would pelt them with arrows, they would hit them a little bit, they would feign away. They would retreat and then make the make their enemies like kind of follow them. And once they got a little bit tired, once they started to slow down, they would hit them again. And then they would run away. This, this is how they won a lot of their open field battles when someone was stupid enough to meet them in the open field. Because not a lot of people would make that choice. A lot of people were terrified to meet them in the open field. One of the funny things is when they went to Poland, the uh, Polish had heard stories of these mighty horseback riding warriors that had been pillaging Eurasia. So they said, screw this. We're going to build a series of forts within the mountains and we'll just pelt them with arrows. So Ogunai and his men, he split his army into three separate armies much like his father did when they went to china and the army that went to poland they saw this they attacked the forts in the hills the hills the forts in the hills did not last very long but the military leader that was in control of these forts ogadai respected him so much he let him live and said hey get out of here you don't want to be around to see what we're about to do laid waste to poland <laughs> it's just laid waste to Poland. He was like, I, I like I like your gumption, kid, but uh you you don't want to see what we're about to do. So once they finished in Poland, they made their way down into Hungary, met up with the other armies, and once they finished off the Teutonic Knights and the other Crusade Knights of a hundred thousand or so, there was literally nothing standing in the way of 
the Mongols attacking the Holy Roman Empire. There, nothing stood in the way. But um, word had gotten back to uh, the generals of the army that Ogadai had actually passed away in Mongolia. So they, they, they never made it to the Holy Roman Empire because they went back to Mongolia and got a meeting of the generals and the sons and um, to figure out who the new Khan was going to be. Now at this point, so Ogadai actually was not present during the uh, farthest western campaigns in Poland and stuff. It was Subedei and um, Ogadai's son. I cannot remember his name right now. Once they got word that Ogadai had died, there were no more son, direct sons of Genghis Khan alive. The others had died in battles at that point. Or uh, um, there was one instance where one of them had died of mysterious circumstances. It was believed that Ogadai had actually killed him. But there, there's no credible sources to that. So Ogadai, the last living son of Genghis Khan, passed away in Mongolia. They had to decide who was going to be the next leader. At that point... Um, the Mongol Empire had expanded so much that it almost became unrealistic for one person to manage. So what ended up happening was that it separated into four different kingdoms. Um, you had the Golden Horde Kingdom in the north, and then you had a few more in the south. And uh, one of the notable leaders of these groups was Kublai Khan. If you've heard of Kublai Khan, um, he was the grandson of Genghis Khan, and he was also a very formidable soldier, although he did not have as impressive of a military record as his grandfather Genghis did. If you're familiar with uh, some pop culture, we met Kublai Khan in the game Ghosts of Tsushima, which is that samurai game where the Mongolians attack Japan and try to take it over. Well, Kublai Khan actually attacked Japan twice, and both times failed. One of the times, a typhoon destroyed pretty much the entirety of the Mongol fleet. The second time... Same thing, they did manage to make landfall, but they were pushed back. And it was suspected that there was going to be a third time, but they never got around to actually doing it. They kind of set their eyes somewhere else. Kublai Khan actually invaded southern Japan, or southern China, sorry, and uh, subdued them. So, Genghis Khan, wonderful military leader, just a tactful man. And I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not sitting here trying to paint him as you know some kind of a saint. They were ruthless. They got down and dirty, and they did some horrible things. When they attacked the Jin Dynasty in northern China, the first city that they attacked before they actually made peace, it was said that sixty thousand virgins leapt from the highest wall of the city so that they would not face the fate that would befall on them from the Mongols. It's not precise if this actually happened. There's no actual data. It may have actually been propaganda 
from the Chinese of like, this is what they did to us. This is what they caused our women to do. And the Mongols kind of went with it. It's just like, yeah, yeah, that's what we did. Don't fuck with us. We'll, we'll cause your virgins to commit suicide. Ugh. I don't know. <laughs> there's there's no actual evidence of that actually happened. Um, but yes, he was a ruthless military leader. Very smart, very tactful, and precise in his things. He did not move a piece of his army without it having a reason to move. He, he was very resourceful. And when it came to the actual logistics of his empire, I mean, they were very profitable. His, his taxes weren't too overpowering. He allowed anyone and everyone to come into the empire as long as, you know, they weren't causing any problems. He allowed every religion in. He um, sat in on a lot of different uh, religious services and ceremonies. I mean, he, he wanted to experience the world. And at the time, you know, I mean, we're looking at, you know, the 1200s. This was this was kind of like a bloody time. At the time, the way of seeing the world is you take an army with you. You can't just go strolling, you know, into another kingdom and expect to be met with welcome arms. I mean, he tried making peace with an army, and then everyone that he sent as a, you know, a peace offering were killed. So if you want to explore the world, you have to take an army with you and you have to be ready to fight. And I think Genghis Khan kind of understood that. So his way of experiencing the world was through conquest. And that may seem silly, stupid, and bloodthirsty to us now, but for the time, that's just kind of how it was. So I hope this was a little knowledgeable for you. Like I said, I'm I'm not I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know everything. I just think these things are interesting. I think it's really cool. Obviously, there's a lot more details. There's a lot more things that happen. I I I I, I could sit here and tell you the name of all these cities that they went to. I could sit here and tell you of all the names of the leaders that they killed. But I I, I really wanted to just touch on the things that I find enjoyable that I think other people will find enjoyable. I mean, yes, he did have successful campaigns within. China, but I think the most enter entertaining one, you know, from a storytelling aspect, is when he chased Shah Muhammad all across the Persian Empire and into Russia. So I wanted to, you know, touch on those names and stuff. But, I mean, do you really want to hear about the names of the cities and the different towns that these people have gone to? If you do, let me know. And I'll start mentioning the names of these cities and I'll, you know, start providing you with all of these details. But for the most part, like I said in the beginning, I want to give you an abridged telling of history. I want to tell it like a story. I don't want to sit here and sound like a textbook because that'll just put you to sleep like it used to do me in school. So if you want to hear those things, let me know and I will start including them in my podcast. But for now... I just want to sit here and tell stories. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, my next episode, I am going to talk about the boogeymen of the Roman Empire. There were two boogeymen in particular. You had Hannibal Barca of Carthage, and you had Spartacus, Spartacus, Spartacus. I love those two. Those are... Now, 
before I, you know, do those episodes, I will give you a little bit of this of a disclaimer. There is not a lot of primary sources regarding Spartacus and Hannibal. The only information we have on them is from the Roman perspective. Because like I have said before, and I will continue to say it, victors write history. Rome was not about to sit there and put Hannibal and Spartacus on pedestals. They were not about to sit there and talk about how a group of slaves almost destroyed the Republic or how Hannibal almost destroyed the Republic. No, they are going to briefly gloss over these two men and they are going to talk about how Rome triumphed in the end, defeated evil, and went on to live a happy and wonderful life. So, something to keep in mind for my next episode. A lot of the things we have to go off of are from Roman historians. Because after the Third Punic War, Carthage was absolutely destroyed. There were three Punic Wars, by the way. The first one was Hannibal's father. The second one was Hannibal. The third one was Hannibal again within Carthage. So, yeah. And then, obviously, in the case of Spartacus, I mean, no one's going to sit there and talk about how a slave was important or amazing. So... It's not really much that we can go off of there, except for what the historians tell us. Just something to keep in mind for next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be providing you guys with these stories and these events. Um, be sure to check me out on Spotify, Amazon, Acast. What are some other ones? I don't know. You'll find me. Just type in History Gets Real on Google and something will pop up for you. <laughs> Thank you all. And have a wonderful day. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.